0: Let's open his word, shall we, to the very last book of that Old Testament, the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter number four. Malachi chapter four. And I want you to stand to your feet out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to do something just a bit unusual. I'm going to read the very last phrase of the very last verse of the Old Testament. Just the very last phrase. And then I'm going to go back. After reading that last phrase of the last verse... And I'm going to begin again in verse number 2 of chapter 4 and continue down to that last phrase once again. Before entering into a chasm of 400 years of God's silence, this is the last phrase that's spoken. Lest I come and smite the earth with a curse... After the period on that page follows 400 years in which no prophet comes on the scene. No new revelation is given by God. And in silence they contemplate that phrase, smite the earth with a curse. However, verse number 2 says this, "...but, I, but unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise." I will send you, Elijah the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Father, I pray that you would help me this morning. Oh, Father, you have overwhelmed me already, and Father, I pray that you would help me Lord, bring my mind and my heart into subjection to your will this morning. And Father, I pray that you would anoint my lips of clay for your eternal purpose as we examine your text and look toward glory and put all of our trust and hope in you. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'd like to continue with my series this morning entitled, Where God Left Off. Last week we examined the fact that God left off in silence and for 400 years after the last punctuation of the Old Testament, there continued a, a chasm, an emptiness, a void, if you will, of God's direct speech through his prophets or by new revelation concerning his word. And the very last word of the Old Testament is curse. It is curse. Curse it is curse this is interesting because that is the the context and the emphasis of this last prophet this minor prophet by the name of Malachi for he brings curses upon God's people he rebukes them he chastens them and then he prophesies of of a coming curse and of coming judgment in verse number five do we not read that there will be a coming of a great and dreadful day of the Lord uh, that there will be a time where the judgment of God is executed upon God's people in wrath, uh, that, the, that the sin and the repro- reproach that they have carried will be brought to light, and there will be no place where man can hide, but instead that great and terrible day of the Lord will be brought forth with fervent heat in the wrath of God's judgment. And here... For 400 years, they are compelled to consider that the very last prophetic word given to them was the word curse. But just as we spoke last week that God has some unfinished business over this space of time, if you will, that there are some things that God left undone in the Old Testament that God would conclude with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, we examined the fact that he left off in silence, but he began again in speech. For in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And as that Word came in the embodiment of the Lord Jesus Christ, that God spoke afresh and once again He declared His mercy and His grace to His people. And as last week we discovered that God left off in silence but began again in speech, I remind you that as we look here to the very last Word of the Old Testament, God left off with a curse. And yes, that curse runs through our veins as well. That curse of sin that is prominent in our experience. But God did not leave us there. For when you look across those 400 years of silence, you see on the horizon a sun that's rising. And we'll mention some things about that sun. And that sun did not bring the curse. But where did God leave off? Where God left off, he also began. He left off with a curse. But he began with the cure. And I would like to preach a message here this morning about his unfinished business where God left off from curse to cure. I would like for you to examine this fact and take under consideration that this curse is what was left in the minds of everyone who turned to that last book that was written. As parents gathered their, their, their children together looking for where God left off, they did not have the gospels of Matthew or Mark, Luke or John to console their hearts with. They could not turn to the joy of the Philippians and see that, that, that suffering would bring forth great joy they could not find comfort in First or Second Peter and the words of encouragement that were given to them by way of the finished work of the cross. But instead, all they could do is look at that last word in the book of Malachi, that word of curse. And as they gathered their families around, they would hope that only by the mercies of God that there would be some relief from that curse. And as they consider these things and with the things that we know that God left off with the curse, but he began again with the cure, there are some things that it should remind us of this morning as we celebrate this most holy celebration of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing that it should remind us of is that first off, there is a curse in our past. And no doubt every single Hebrew child would recognize that there is a curse in their past. I see the name of this curse here mentioned a few different ways in chapter number 4. In verse number 4, it names the curse among those that do wickedly in in verse number 1. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven. And all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly, shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. And that this this curse was thorough both in our experience and in His judgment. That there would be absolutely no escaping this curse. And we see that this curse, this curse is named, this curse of sin runs through all of our veins. And as we look to the fact that that God went from curse to cure, we must not skip over the reality that this curse remains in our past. It remains not just in our past, but it remains also in our person. In our past, yes, it was handed down from Adam and his descendants all the way to us in that we read in Romans chapter number five, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. And we recognize that this curse is not just a problem of our past, but it is a problem that is within our person Every single one of us here today lie under the judgment of this curse. For there is none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For we are all wicked, for there is none that doeth good, there is none that seeketh after God. As the prophet Isaiah said and is reminded in the book of Romans, we have all gone astray. And yes, this curse may manifest itself different ways in your experience, but nonetheless, we know from Scripture that it's there. Sometimes the curse of sin manifests itself in our integrity, and we find ourselves in lies and thievery. We steal, we take things that are not ours, and we find ourselves under the sway and influence of that curse. Perhaps you're sitting here and you would say that you are no thief and you're always walking in the integrity of our heart, but I would like to point out the jealousy that courses through your veins, especially in this time of season. As we compare the haves and the have-nots and how many Christmas presents will be under our trees, and it's the debate that every, ch- every child likes to talk about shortly after Christmas morning, what did you get? And all that jealousy is just barely underneath the surface. And we adults, we like to think that we don't experience such things, but all we do. We go out in the parking lot. We compare which car each of us drove here at a church. And some lifted up in pride for what the Lord has allowed you to achieve. And by his beneficent mercies have brought you forth. But instead, you sit there thinking that it was something that we have done. Oh, but it's all by the grace of God. And that curse of sin rolls through our veins and infects our heart and infects our minds. And it may manifest itself in different ways, but nonetheless, it's there like a symptom of a severe illness. Here present is still this. This fever, this virus of COVID going in and and out of our community, some infected and and some recovered and reinfected again. I remember the morning that I wasn't feeling so well and I lifted my coffee to my lips and there was no taste to it. What was one of the most odd symptoms that everybody said was was a symptom of COVID 19? It was a loss of taste. Bruh. You see that that virus had symptoms. And we were quick to identify, and it seemed like as soon as someone was feeling a little fever, a little ache, or uh, was not feeling well, the next question was always, have you lost taste and smell? Have you lost taste and smell? Because that was the symptom that for sure identified you as one being, I mean, all of you infectious people in here, (laughs) and myself, uh, that, that identified whether or not you had it, whether you wanted to get tested or not. That was the sure thing. If you lost taste and smell, then surely you had it. We must realize that there are some sure symptoms of sin that are evident in our own life. Have you ever blasphemed the name of God? There you smash your finger, you stub your toe, and out of your lips in an irreverent manner come the most holy name of God. Oh, you smash your finger, and it's Jesus, His holy name, that comes out of your lips. And that is a symptom of your sin. Every amount of pride or bitterness or arrogance that you've ever felt in your life, I tell you, it's not just part of the human experience. It's a symptom of the curse that is in your person, and you have been infected by this curse. And I'm telling you that you are under the full measure of God's wrath because of it. Every time you've told a lie, it's a symptom of that sin every time without justification you have become angry or irritable uh, you are recognizing and experiencing a symptom of that sin you young people here in the front of this church every time you have not been so inclined to honor your parents and it has been back talk and disrespect that is quick to come to your lips i'm telling you what that is that's not not just because you're a teenager in america That's because the curse of sin is what you are under. And whether you like it or not, whether you recognize it or not, you are under its influence. You are under its control because just like any physical virus, that spiritual virus affects every single one of us. And here, in the very last word of the Old Testament, what did the Lord God Almighty desire for all men to know that they're still under that curse? They're still under that curse. It is a curse from our past. It is a curse that is within our person. And it is a curse that is like a prison. It's like a prison that you cannot escape from, that you cannot get out of. And you can grab hold of those cold steel bars and pull as hard as you want on that door. But that door can never be sprung open by your efforts or by your actions. We are all confined to the prison of this curse. In fact, I can only imagine what it must have been like as time after time people would come back to this book of Malachi over those 400 silent years and read that word curse, curse, curse. Echoing off the pages of their scrolls and echoing off the words of their priests is the word curse. And when they're looking to the end of it, all they find is a curse. And like a prison, they find themselves confined to it. And every time they seek solace, they see that that word curse has not been dealt with, nor has it been removed. And like a constant reminder, echoing in the night while they lay silently in their bed, they cannot escape that final word of the old testament interestingly enough the word curse here is translated from a hebrew word karem Kerem. the word karem can be translated a number of different ways interestingly enough however one of the ways it can be translated and one of the ideas behind of it is that it is a net A net that has been cast and has has captured its prey. And now, on the other end of that tow line, drawing that net in towards judgment is a sovereign God. And there are no holes in that net by which we can escape. But instead, which each grasp of the rope, which each rising and setting of the sun, that judgment day of the Lord was coming closer and closer and closer. And he reminds them of that great and dreadful day of the Lord. As the net of those that were infected by this disease of sin is drawing closer to that judgment day, the reminder here is that there is no escaping from it. You know, so quick in our churches, and I know why, we want to run straight from curse to cure. Because dwelling on that curse is a tad uncomfortable. As children, when we got in trouble with our parents, we were quick to get past that trouble and resolve those issues so that we could just be kids again and, and have no strain in our relationship. But imagine what what we should observe from this 400 years of silence as the Lord allowed them to just rest on this notion that they are under the curse. Here in this few moments that I have this morning, it would be a bit awkward to just stand here in silence as we dwelt on that reality. You know, we often... We read quickly the words of Scripture, but we don't take into consideration the great pauses in its narrative. When we're out soul winning and knocking on doors, we want to run so quick to tell them about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and understandably so, amen? Oh, but how important it is to realize that there is a curse called sin And that curse we are trapped in like a great net that is absolutely inescapable and it is being drawn in by the Lord towards that judgment day. Oh, but when I do look back and I am able to turn over that blank page and find myself in the New Testament, something, oh, my heart is overwhelmed, something that Jesus described as a new covenant in his blood and as I open the New Testament and I begin to read the pronouncement of the angels, how unto you a child is born, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, I am reminded that even though sometimes we feel the effects of that cur- that curse, he did not leave us there, but he brought about a glorious cure. And that right there is where God left off and he desires to bring us from curse curse and to cure and it reminds me that there is a curse in our past but it also reminds me that there is compassion in our priest. Oh for in those Old Testament days there were two offices that were so powerful between God and man. There was the prophet like Malachi who spoke from God to man on God's behalf. But there was also a priest. There was a priest who spoke to God on man's behalf. That that priest might, might bridge the gap between God and man. And speak to God on that day of atonement. And, and, and make a sacrifice for sin. Uh, that, uh, that God might, might see their faith and obedience. And, and have mercy on them. And when I come to this notion... That we are all under the curse. I look to what we learn in verse number 2 of this chapter. And it starts off with one of the most encouraging words in Scripture. It's not the word mercy or grace, although those are gloriously encouraging. It's the word but. It's the word but. I love it, by the way, when God butts in. I love it when he butts into Psalm seventy-three. When the psalmist says, "My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever." I love what we learn in First Corinthians chapter ten, verse number thirteen: how there hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man, but God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that year, able, but will with that temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it? I love what the Ephesians learned. Yes, first they learned this. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath even as others. Oh, but the next verse. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. Uh, Oh, the love of God that that was given to us. I I love what is said in Acts chapter 13. If I could just give you one more, although we could go forever on this. In verse 29, the Bible says that they had fulfilled all that was written of him. They had took him down from the tree and laid him in the sepulcher. And there lie Jesus, dead as a doornail. And all the imps of hell began to rejoice. Every adversary of Jesus, every Pharisee, every... Every scribe, every Roman leader that sought his demise was now rejoicing. Oh, but they feared the next verse, Acts 13, verse number 30. But God raised him from the dead. And we serve a risen Savior. And we must be reminded when we look to that little baby which occupies that manger that we are not worshiping a little baby. We are worshiping the risen God. The one who paid the price for our curse. The one who redeemed us from our sins. And where God left off, God picked right back up. And he took us from curse to cure. And I'm reminded... Not just about the priests of that Old Testament which stood on man's behalf before God but for that great high priest of the New Testament the Lord Jesus Christ who is a high priest would come like no other high priest could and make a sacrifice of himself for our healing. And I read of that Great high priest in verse number two. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise. Look at these next few words with healing in his wings. And as just as sure as we are all under the curse of sin this morning. We can all be under the healing of his wings and experience the cure for that sin. For when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he did not just die for me and for those that have been attending for some period of time. No, he did not just become the propitiation for our sins only. But the Bible says that he is so For the sins of the whole world. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For one little drop of his blood is sufficient to save all of humanity. For all of mankind, for all of time. For we serve a glorious high priest who has compassion towards us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners under that curse. Christ died for us. Oh, you see in verse number two that there is healing. There is healing. Not only is there healing, but because of the compassion of this priest, there is righteousness. But unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And that curse of sin that has infected our minds, our hearts, and our bodies can be replaced with something. No, in this instance, it's not enough just to remove the curse. Oh, but there's got to be something applied as part of the cure. And when Jesus died on the cross, not only did he absorb our sin but he made a way for us to absorb his righteousness or that it would be imputed given placed in us so that when the father comes in judgment and he sees us who have received his son he does not see a people still infected with that curse but instead he sees the righteousness of his own son in glory he does not see the face of your wickedness he sees the face of his son he does not see the the unrighteousness of your life but instead he sees the holy righteousness of his son do you not understand that when jesus christ came and died he died that you might have his nature oh glory to his name glory to his name I'm a little excited about this this morning because I've been around a bunch of people who don't have nothing to their name. They don't know they have shoes on their feet. They don't have food in their fridge. They don't even have a fridge. But let me tell you one thing they've got. They've got the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And when they gather, they're not there to talk about oh, the uh, the Lord uh, uh, spared my dog, although I'm glad God spares dogs. He, they're not there to talk about being delivered from their physical infirmities. They're talking about about one thing, that they are saved by His grace, that they are forgiven by His name, and that they have a home. They have a home that's so much better. So much, so much better than that tarp they're living under. And they've got clothes that are so much better than those rags that they put on every day. For they've got His righteousness. And As we celebrate this time, It was not just about going from silence to speech. It was about going from curse to cure. And as we remember that, oh, we're reminded. Reminded that there there is a curse in our past, there is compassion in our priest. But lest we forget, there is a condition for our pardon. It was not the Lord's plan, nor do I know that it would be within the ability of the nature in his justice to take the sin of man and just say, oh, never mind but instead in God's justice sin must be punished if you don't go to a court hearing for a man who took the life of one of your children and the judge said never mind you just go free you would say what injustice and our god is a god of justice And when the father looks down to the people that he loves, he realizes that that there is only one way to receive them unto himself again. You see, there is a condition to their pardon. Sin had to be paid for. I see what it says in verse number two, but unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise. As soon as we come past Thanksgiving, we look to the horizon of Christmas that it would quickly come and we rejoice in all the celebration of it. But there is another day that, that we should be thinking about dawning. It's not just about about presents and trees. It's about the coming of the spotless lamb. And that sun of righteousness was beginning to rise on the horizon there over Bethlehem as that baby is born and in order for there to be pardon for all of mankind there had to be sacrifice and that sacrifice had to be spotless and as I look to the innocency of that of that picture as Mary lays the holy child down into the manger oh it is so innocent it is so spotless but every day thereafter was spotless for that child as he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man and as he lived his life he lived a spotless and sinless life oh but it was not just enough to be spotless there must have been a sacrifice involved this pattern was pictured throughout all of the Old Testament and we will examine that for a moment next week. But as we look to it here today, we are reminded that every single sacrifice of the Old Testament was pointing with a long bony finger down to another sacrifice that would have to be made, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And now they took that spotless lamb and they poured his beard from his flesh and beat him beyond the the recognition of a man. And as his flesh opened and gaped from his face and his back, his blood poured down with every pump of his heart. He made his way, that spotless lamb, down a bloody path toward Calvary. You see, there's a condition for our pardon. Sin had to be paid for. And he paid the full measure of that. He paid the full measure. He hung on that cross and he said these glorious words that it is finished. There's no more sacrifice. It is finished. For them, there's no more waiting. It is finished. It is finished. There's no more curse. It is finished. But there's still another condition because every gift, no matter how faithfully offered, must be received. For the Bible does say that the, wages, uh, that, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if you are sitting here under the sound of my voice or watching my live stream, you need to be well aware of the fact that there is a condition for your pardon. Yes, that condition is that the price must be paid, but that is finished. But the gift also must be received. Oh, and the Bible teaches that it's only received one way and one way only, by grace through faith. It is given to you by the grace of God, not by the works of righteousness that you have done, for those are filthy rags, not by baptism, not by church attendance, not by being a general good person, but by one thing, by placing all of your faith, hope, and confidence in the fact that Jesus and Jesus alone died for your sin, was buried and rose from the dead. And I wonder if we could be honest before the Lord and say, I've received that gift as my Savior. I remember the day when I pulled open the packaging of that gift and received it for myself. Oh, glorious day when I went from curse to cure. But if your life were to be taken away from you in this moment, and immediately there you are in the presence of the Lord, could you honestly say right now that you've already been taken from curse to cure, that there's been a time where you've received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Jesus described it this way as being born again. Oh, I get so concerned about those who talk about being, being saved from a car accident or, or saved from financial, financial turmoil and say, well, yeah, the Lord's saved me. But when I ask, "But have you ever been born again? They just stare back with empty eyes, unsure of what I'm talking about. And if that's you here this morning, I beg you, do not leave here this morning unsure. For Jesus has already provided the cure. Amen. I would urge you to let us show you from a Bible how to be saved.